and we're going to today. Here we go. Okay, let's start with some fun. This is the Allstate. This is Allstate, but it's not the Allstate guy. So I'm a little, I'm a little concerned about that. Here we go. I saved 25%. Oh, yeah. You protected your casa? Sure did. And the Frank Tank? You know it. And now you're relaxing. I'm working from home. Sure you are. All right, I see a lot of head nods. Let's circle back tomorrow. You aren't kidding. Save up to 25% when you bundle home and auto with Allstate. Okay, there you go. <laughs> but the Allstate Mayhem guy, is, that's not the guy. That's a different guy. It looks a lot like him. So uh, I did a feature on the Mayhem guy just a while ago and uh, how he had terrible, he had a, some kind of chronic chronic uh, pain problem and he could could hardly get out of bed. And uh, But he, you know, went for the interview anyway or the audition and he got the part and um, it changed his life, obviously. So, but maybe, maybe they, maybe he couldn't continue. I mean, that, that's obviously possible. Um, anyway, he's really, really changed the insurance business. Okay, let's get over to the, to the uh, rest of the news. This was a really interesting article by Wendy Davis. Um, the headline, and I'm not, I'm not saying, you know, edit, editors do the headlines usually, not the, not the authors, but. Um, but the headline says, Media Court Allows Texas to Enforce Social Media Censorship Law. Now, you know, if you only read the headline, which most of us do, that's how I decide on articles, you'd say, oh, so Texas is going to censor social media. And then there's a sense in which that's true. And it's probably the epithet applied to this law by people who don't like the law. <laughs> but anyway, the law, let's get a little more specific here. The law, and I'll make it a little bigger so you can maybe see a little bit. The law prohibits Twitter, Facebook, YouTube from suppressing users' posts based on viewpoint. Wait a minute, wait a minute. I thought it was a censorship law. No, it actually prohibits censorship by the big social media companies. So they can't just take it off. Interesting. So in a sense, it's still a censorship law, but it's not about Texas censoring Twitter, Facebook, YouTube. It's about Texas stopping Twitter, Facebook, and YouTube from censoring opinions they don't appreciate on their platform. And uh, there's a lot of legal talk here, and a lot of people say it's constitutionally rotten from top to bottom and other things like that. But and and what their what their position basically is is that these companies have the right to express their opinion and do so by suppressing counter opinions now a TV, a television station is licensed to use the frequencies and they are required by law to present alternative opinions either as editorials guest editorials or other things, letters to the editors, that sort of thing. They're they're actually part of their licensing is that they need to to, to keep on hand uh, feedback and they need to make some of that known to the public because they're in a particularly powerful position that they have that frequency exclusively that people can't compete with them on that frequency otherwise the, you know the broadcast media wouldn't even work. Um, and so they are expected to do that. Now, um, 
the some of the areas that have been cited were vaccine misinformation. What's what's ironic about that, and that that was going to be they were going to allow them to suppress vaccine misinformation, except that think about a couple of the vaccine misinformation or health misinformation lately. And one was that the vaccine will prevent the spread. Another was that the vaccine was the only treatment. Another one was that the um, that the vaccine would protect us from the current version. All of those things turned out to be false. And so in suppressing those things, it made the vaccine companies look more more capable than they were. It made the vaccine look more compelling, but it also probably meant that other treatments, which could have been uh, efficacious, there's a good word for it, med- medical term, uh, were essentially suppressed. Now, the media companies say, well, we have Section 230 behind us, so we can do whatever we want. Section 230 actually prevents the media from being sued by on the basis of opinions posted by their uh, members, if you will. Um, I, I can't see how this applies at all. You know, no one's suing the media for for the the alternate opinions. Uh, what's going on is that they're just taking them down, say preemptively. And so when they become an editorial, and when they have an and when they essentially have, uh, well, the the law is limited to 50 million members. Um, they essentially have a like like a broadcast media uh, exclusivity. Then. Uh, I think that this is this was something that was passed in the very first days of the internet uh, to protect, you know, if you had a like a a community a community website or a school website, somebody couldn't put something uh, just freely post something detrimental when you weren't looking, and then uh, have the site uh, censored for it or censured for it. Anyway, I think I think there's obviously room for something like this um i did an article a couple weeks ago about some what was going on in other countries and pointed out to the author that that poland has a similar law that says that if it's legal speech and this is important right right here it says that this is this is only it's only applies to um removing or suppressing lawful speech okay so there are things that I can't say publicly, right? The classic is to shout fire in a in a uh, crowded theater, and we go on from there. But since that's the case, um, it's only the lawful it's only the lawful speech that's 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 covered here. If someone says something that's you know slanderous or um, you know or <laughs> Uh, other things, there's some things, you know, serious personal threats, uh, things like that. Um, those things could be removed, but but not just opinions. We need that. We need opinions. We needed more opinions, I believe, in the COVID uh, stretch that we hit. Uh, I tried to give a few. Okay, let's go over here. This is an excellent, excellent article from Marketing Week. I almost didn't look at it because the headline doesn't say anything about direct mail. Um, and I tried to find Sean Hargave is how it's spelled here. And I noticed in Marketing Week, when I looked him up, there was no 
bio, but there were all the other articles and it's also spelled Hargave, but LinkedIn can't find anyone by that name on earth. So I'm guessing that it's probably Sean Hargrave and I'm going to, I t already, already sent him a note. <clears throat> I hope it's him. He's a, he's a freelance journalist and an excellent, excellent article. I, I, I'm stunned. This is one of the best direct mail articles I've read in months at least, I think, I would say. Um, so I don't know how Sean came up with it, whoever Sean is, but just excellent. Go over to WDMA.org and get the show notes and read this for yourself because there's, there's things that you can help your clients with. This is something that every company that does bills or does, you know, I just got another bill from my insurance company and we get more mail from them than anybody else. It's totally unusable. They should be sending us one piece of mail with all our accounts and what's coming up next, like my, like my, uh, like my uh, IP does. You know, I, I have different websites hosted and they send me messages about what's coming up for renewal and I get one message a month and it's all very organized and how much it costs. My insurance company sends me a piece of mail for every account, every and if you don't put that account number on each individual payment, they mix it up. You can say this is for this and this and this. They mix it up. They put it on something totally un unrelated. That's the way they do business. So if you're a company like that, this article is for you. Or if you're a company that does customer communication but doesn't think about using mail, this article is for you. Okay. So most of... Most of customer and brand communication, or much of it, is boring, right? It's the minimum. It's like that letter I just got out of the mailbox this morning. With minimal or no uh, effort put into it, no thought, uh, it's just sending the required information. And um, then Amanda Griffiths, head of customer communication planning at Market Reach, says... You should think on this a little more. There's an opportunity here. And what's super great about this is she gives examples. <clears throat> TSB, um, apparently TSB is a bank. Okay, I think this was, this was written in the UK, so some of these brands won't make any sense. But TSB is a bank, and they're required to, to send out something on the changes in terms and conditions for some of the products that they have as a bank. And instead of just doing that, they sent out a little booklet. Okay, changes to your terms and conditions. And not only does it include the terms and conditions, but it says make a cup of tea before reading through the updates. And it, in a neighborly voice, explains what the terms and conditions changes are. Can you imagine that? Nobody does that. I mean, that's just astounding, right? Just a little care, a little, the kind of thing that you'd like to know. Okay, I just assume they're trying to trick me <laughs> and up the charges. 82% of customers praised for helping them understand the new terms and conditions. Isn't that wonderful? Okay, and if you're charging premium prices, this extra communication is part of the package. You can't just charge more for your product. You got to explain why why you're doing a better job behind the scenes okay so paperless billing is becoming more more common but many people still 
prefer to receive important documents as physical customer mail. So this is something that's tangible and in a person's hand. What can we do with this in addition? You know, American Express flew me to the trade to the uh, World Trade Center before it vanished. And uh, the they took me to the 42nd floor and they offered me a job running their uh, data center for their marketing data for their billing inserts, you know, and they said, well, we're one of the biggest catalogers in the world. If you considered what we do a catalog, I said, I don't, <laughs> you know, there was, there isn't consistent design. You're just st sticking sheets of paper that people buy into a, into the billing statement. And so they, I basically declined the offer. It was a pretty good offer. It's more than I was making, but you know, you'd have to live in New York city. Today, maybe remote could have done it. But anyway, I said, so, so mail can also give you opportunities to use personal URLs or QRs. Uh, market research uh, conducted by Trinity McQueen, also excellent. You know, and at least it says who did it, and it doesn't say the number of people or whatever, but 85% of people said that they read their mail, 65 store it for future reference 49 put it somewhere to, to uh action later and 40 show it to others in their household that ain't happening with email i bet you okay uh noted um amanda noted that it should be sustainable paper is there any other kind of paper it comes from trees we planted the trees 20 years ago to make paper from them. We plant more trees every year. There's more trees now than there was 20 years ago. So paper is one of the most sustainable things on earth. And recycled paper probably does more, econ <laughs> probably more ecological harm. I was looking for that 50 cent word. Then virgin pulp from a sustainable paper forest just like a crop of corn for heaven's sakes okay driving engagement through personalization okay we're seeing a lot this is really good we'll just highlight the whole thing we're seeing a lot of brands using customer mail here to help customers self-serve online through personalized urls or qrs using mail to send customers directly to the right digital touch point can be very helpful and empowering to the customers to take the next step to discover more about a brand. I know, I it annoys me that 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 QR codes often take you just to the website itself, right? I had one of the oldest catalogs in America and that's all their QR ever did. It never took me to that product that I was looking at that I wanted more information about. Anyway, EE is a phone company, mobile phone in the UK, and they decided to upgrade their upgrade their packaging when the phone comes to you and they put a QR right there and it says the extraordinary starts now okay and it's obviously very prominent right there right and uh, that takes you to a video okay there's the package I love when they have examples right this is almost better than some of the echo awards spec and and, and uh, let's see Marjorie is it no, Amanda. Amanda, right? Amanda Griffiths. Amanda, you need to put this in the Echo Awards. You need to get this stuff out there. We definitely need to do that. 
Lisa will like that. Anyway, <laughs> Specsavers sends out personal letters, letters to parents with reminders that their child needs to book an eye examination. And here's the important part, with an explanation of why it is important. The URL and telephone numbers are prominent. Let's get a, let's get a response device in there with the child's name providing an impetus to act on the reminder, okay? Get a response device on the mailer, right? Okay, uh, Waitrose, a, a, a grocery store chain, has increased their voucher redemption by 50% by doing a little better job mailing their customers coupons based on shopping behavior. And here's a picture. Look how pretty it is. Waitrose has improved their NPS score, and I did look it up. I should have typed it in here. Uh, <laughs> it never sounds like what it means. But anyway, um, it's, it's a measure of your customer service and things and, your cust and the perception of how customers feel they're treated. So anyway, it soared, whatever. <laughs> it went up anyway by 55 points. Okay, for those of us not into NPS scores, you know, you could have given us a percentage or something in addition. Okay, look at this beautiful stuff. Taste the sunshine. Slowly does it. It's about it's about chalk full of temptation, and it's about how they produce, you know, the stuff that they sell. Oh, customers just love that stuff. Customers' high level of trust and engagement in customer mail, 71% trust it, makes it a key channel key channel for building brand equity and providing excellent customer service. And we have three or four good examples in this in this article. Fantastic article. While it can be overlooked by some marketers in the rush to move budget into move budget into digital, right? Griffiths, Amanda, argues customer mail is an integral part of an omni-channel customer experience that can show customers they are truly valued. And what this article doesn't say, you know, John Worth, one of my mentors, he once tested a thank you card inside the box. With these kinds of efforts, we can test them. We can test them really well. We can test them simply. We can take an internal digit of the postal code and use an even odd split so that when the customer responds, we can compare lifetime value. Uh, John did that over a six-month period, and he found something like a 25%, 20 25% lift. No, I think it was only 10 or 15. But still, on the total average order, but with the people with the thank you card, in the next six months, the people he sent thank you cards to, just a thank you card in the box, pre-printed. But, but he stuck it in there, and he found a significant lift in average order of the next order. So there you go. We can test this, and it doesn't get into that. But there's uh, there's sneaky, and there's there's creative ways to test all these things and show the value in the ROI. Okay, 43% of customer mail drives a commercial action such as going online, planning a purchase, or buying something. There was a there was a post on LinkedIn yesterday about about attribution and how. You shouldn't be too worried about it. Well, right. If you all you do is digital and the engagement is so low that you don't get any kind of testable response, then 
You can't do attribution. It's a joke. What I said was the key was to do was to do things with enough customer engagement that if you stop, if if you do it to some customers and not others, there's a there's a significant difference, which gives you the incremental causal value and profitability value, our return on investment of the action. The key is to have high engagement actions rather than just digital thrown at the wall. Okay, so X Sean, thank you for that. And Amanda, thank you for that. It was wonderful. And uh, I'll tag you in the article if I can find you. Maybe Amanda knows who you are. So anyway, have a great day. Share, share this and you will get pennies from heaven. Bye-bye.